Okay, welcome to Teaching Others Also. We're going to begin a series. Um, it'll go at least 10, 11, 12, maybe longer, but I know it's going to go that many. We're going to begin a series, I'm going to call it Soul Health. S-O-U-L Health. Go to 3 John, if you would. 3 John, we're going to read verses 1 to 4. And... I want to talk about this thing from a standpoint of how important it is to understand that we are, so to speak, our soul. Now, let me just start off from the beginning with this. We want to see the forest, okay, and not merely the trees. We want to see the forest, and then we'll look at some trees. We also are not going to hyper-divide it. The Holy Ghost of God, with the, Holy, with the Word of God, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, can divide between the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow. Uh, you can't and I can't, and we don't safely try to do that. In its work inside us, it can. But I want you to look at 3 John, and... We'll begin there, and we're also going to go to Psalm 42. Now, I've put, Lord willing, I've put PDFs with each of these lessons, messages, sermons. I've put them on there, and they've got a couple of points and some Scripture. And it's not as a shortcut of looking up the Scriptures, but it's like a study sheet and can help review. If you print them out on 8.5 by 11 or A4 and like I've done, punch a few holes in them and stick them in a notebook, and you can flip through them. I believe one of the greatest things that's happened is that we have fallen into a trap as a whole, Christianity has. We, we know humans have fallen into the trap of thinking that if it works for me, then that's okay. That's, that's, that's all that matters. Uh, so with that in mind, then, of course, psychology becomes, whatever you call it, psychology becomes a tool. Behavioral psychology becomes a major tool, especially in getting results. Third John starts in verse 1 with the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So John's calling himself the elder, and he's addressing Gaius, and he says, whom I love in the truth. There is no greater bond than that kind of love, both a brotherly and a soldierly love. He says, Beloved, verse 2, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I greatly rejoiced when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I love hearing about people being saved, and I love being a part of it when they come to Christ. But the thing that I would echo with John, and the thing that I'm sure echoes what Paul the Apostle thought, was that getting saved is, is a start. But when people walk in the truth, and you know yourself, you know yourself the difference between someone coming to Christ and them coming to Christ and walking in the truth. You know that that testimony, that example, that 
picture it gives both to us who may have led him to Christ or were there when it happened, <coughs> excuse me, to those around him who were with him when, it, when they came to Christ or observed it, maybe in an uh, evangelistic service or a church service, or maybe you're out doing evangelistic work. And so the picture is that <laughs> you would be in health and prosper as your soul prospers. That verse for years, decades, I guess 40 years probably, the picture I've had is, what, what if when you showed up for church, we'll say, <coughs> or you when you had a cup of coffee with a Christian or you had a prayer meeting, what if your physical posture showed your soul's health? In other words, if you're just like <coughs> been neglecting your soul, okay, and uh, you're, you know, you're a bit out of sorts, crossways. See, you're at church, we'll say. We'll just take church. And then all of a sudden, your body just, almost like gummy, just slides out of the pew into the floor, into the, into the aisle. Because that's about how much strength your soul has. You see, the average person, the average Christian is tempted to think that what their body's doing is a picture of what their soul is doing. And John says, I, I really want you to think about the fact that everything has to start within us. So yes, we are spirit, soul, and body. But when we talk about these matters, go to Psalm 42, please. Psalm 42. When we talk about these matters, we're talking about who we really are. Uh, on your hand out there, your study sheet, whatever, and I, I hope you'll make use of it, it it's a helpful thing. Uh, on it, it's going to have your, your reference, Psalm 42, and we're going to read the verses. We're going to read the Psalm, 1 through 11. And the picture is, and if you think about it when you're reading the Psalms, now, I'm going to throw this in here. You, I read the Psalms every month by reading just five Psalms a day. It's so easy. And like you do the book of Proverbs, for example, you just read uh, whatever the date is. So if the date is the 13th, you would read Psalm... Well, let's, stay, let's talk Psalm 1 so you can get it in your head. Psalm 1, Psalm 31, Psalm 61, Psalm 91, Psalm 121. And in every 30 days, you read the book of Psalms. And I like to do it very first thing in the morning. It helps me because it, it appeals to our soul and our heart and our mind. When we read this psalm, if you just, with a pencil, circle it every time you see my soul and my soul and our soul, uh, you'll get what I'm saying. So let's read the psalm and picture this with me. We're going to talk about soul health. Now, soul health is something that's really important when a person comes to Christ, helping them end up with a healthy soul. Because up to that point, you say, well, I was lost. Yes, you were. I was. Uh, my spirit and soul were lost. My body was condemned. Yes. I get saved. Now my soul is quickened. Okay? You say, well, your spirit's quickened. It is. We're not going to hyper-divide it for this. I could do that with you in a lot of ways. But the big picture is really, really important and helpful here. It's helpful for young people when they come to Christ. It's helpful for these teenagers when they come to Christ. It's helpful for 20 and 30 and 40, 50, 60, 70-somethings, 80-somethings. Your soul health. He said, I wish you'd prosper even as your soul prospers is in his health. Psalm 42, as the heart panteth 
after the water brooks. So panteth, mark it, see, my soul after thee, O God. Now it's very important to understand that you and I don't have to hyperdivide everything we find in this book. Look at, uh, uh, just for a moment, look a couple pages to the left, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, just look at two verses, or three. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now watch. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Now, almost all of you probably, you have a little prescript there in your King James Bible, and it'll say a psalm of David. And then it'll say when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he, he departed. So it's David writing. He said, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Now, I don't know if you realize or not, but that is a revelation. That is God giving us a hint at how He made us. It's not us trying to get in touch with our feminine side and all that. Although I don't know why some of you guys are afraid of that. When I got saved, and they started preaching about Christ the bride, the church, uh, Christ the bridegroom, the church the bride, I was like, man, that's weird. I don't want to be a bride. Until I heard them teaching on it, preaching on it, talking about it. And something in your soul and in your spirit says, yeah. Yeah, I get that. So there's something in us that God made us to want to be. Israel was the father's wife. The church is the Lord Jesus' bride. So on. So... There's something in us that we are our soul. Our soul is, the first point on your study notes is your soul is your core you. Now, lest you go freaking out on me and go, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds like, you know, some Eastern thing. Where do you think they got it? They got it from the ultimate worship people the Hebrews, the Jews, the Shemites of the Shemites, you might say. So when he writes, My soul thirsteth for God, Psalm 42 now, For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? If, if, it's like Job's situation. If, if God's really there, how come you're here? Like in this situation, in this pit, in this cave. In, this, in, in David's case, you know, over there in Psalm 34, why are you here before Abimelech? Verse 4, when I remember these things, watch, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. And when you get to do that, it's a wonderful thing. I was kind of testifying to a couple guys this morning, telling them they were saved guys. They're talking about revival meetings. And I said, you know, I said, I've been in real ones. I've been in some that were, you know, primarily souls getting saved, but I've been in some where God was doing a work in believers. And He did a work in them that, in, in, in basics and in general, has lasted 30 years. I, I, I've been in meetings. I've been in meetings where, uh, just out of the blue, 
as far as we were concerned, God said, hey, if y'all tell everybody, anybody wants to show up, come up Monday night. Eleven days and nights we went like that. Eleven nights in a row. But during that time, God did a work that, that cleansed those fellows, that brought them in close, and those women, that has lasted them 30 plus years. Why? Because our soul wants to be there. So when you remember, if you're, if you're on a mission field somewhere, isolated. Uh, if you're around a bunch of you know, lukewarm Christians, isolated. Don't give that up, verse 5. Look what he says. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? I've got some sermons I call soul talk. And sometimes you and your, you and your soul, me, myself, and I have to have a talk. If I'm going to keep my spiritual sanity and my spiritual health in my soul. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? So mark that. That, that verse is in verse 5. It's in verse 11. And in the very next psalm, it's at the end of Psalm 43, verse 5 again. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Now, I don't know about you. I've memorized this verse and used it many, many, many a time. And the thing that it does for me is it helps me a lot. Because he says, hope thou in God. Not hope in your circumstances. Not hope in the people who are helping you. Uh, not hope in the government. Not even hope in the church itself. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down. So notice down in verse 5, down in verse 6, uh, down in verse 11. Okay? Uh, why art thou cast down in Psalm 43 verse 5? What do we talk about when our soul's not in good health sometimes? Sometimes we picture it, uh, a good phrase that describes it is, I'm down. I'm down. You know, Oswald Chambers, his writings are brilliant. And he didn't write, he talked. And his wife took it down by stenography. And after his death, really untimely, early death, she put stuff together. And his book, his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, has some wonderful things in there. And most of them are the result of chapel talks he brought while he had in a large house there that they rented in London. He had a Bible college, Bible training college, BTC. And many missionaries went out all over the place. In fact, he and his wife, they went down into Egypt, World War I there, to Zatoun, Egypt. And because of that, they, uh, he, all through his walking and travels, he got appendicitis, didn't get treated, and he died. But he points out in there, and just for example, today, uh, October 13th devotion, he points out that we weren't made to live on the mountain. God made us to live in the valley, but it's in that valley that we find out what we brought off the mountain with us. In the drudgery, in the daily duty. When there isn't something that really, you know, like jazzes us up and gets us going to do that day. Some of you who teach or preach, you know that there's a big difference. If you know you're about to get up in front of 500 people, which many of us have done that, you, get, you know that, you're, you're, focus, you're focused. If you've got any wisdom at all, you're keenly focused on what's about to happen. But some of you, if you've got a class of five people or 10 or 20, and it's just, say, primary, 
or junior high or senior high or or take the other end, you know, about to kill, kill over adults, you don't get all jazzed up about it necessarily. Uh, you don't get jazzed up necessarily about mowing the lawn unless you got you some brand new piece of equipment. It's not at all out of the question for our soul to get down a little bit. Verse 6, Oh, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill miser. Deep calleth unto deep of the noise of thy water spouts. All thy ways and all thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock. Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now, hear me out. I don't think in the vast majority of these kind of statements, whether it be David or anyone else, I don't think they're indicting God. I think many times they're saying why, and the first thing there is, is, is there something i got to take care of? In fact, you can find that narrative in David's Psalms. <coughs> because you can see where he said, Lord, I, I took care of these things the best I know. Why? It's okay to ask it in that spirit. The reading of the book of Job, especially Job's part, will tell you it's okay to ask questions as long as you've got the right spirit about it. Verse 10, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me daily. Words do hurt. And even the toughest of preachers I've known, like Doc, whether he won't admit it or not, I've seen, I've, I've witnessed where words hurt him. They hurt. As with the sword of my bones, my enemies reproach me daily, while they say daily unto me, Where's thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him, watch, who is the health of my countenance and my God. So in verse 5 he said, Yet praise him for the help of his countenance. We look into his countenance. We Look into his eyes. We look into his book. And he said he's going to help the health of my countenance and my God. So when John makes the statement, it's a great foundational point. And we're going to do a series here on soul health. Now, when I came to Christ, I had no idea what any of that was about. But I sure needed it. For years, growing up, all through my teenage years, I, re I would say to my dad, someday I'm going to find something that I can pour myself into. When I was in my mid-teens, I thought maybe I could somehow achieve becoming a veterinarian, especially with large animals, and maybe even, you know, with marine animals. Exploring, training, all that stuff. We raced on little small to medium racetracks. Honestly, life was like a racetrack. It was just, uh, there. it's an oval, but it was just goes in circles, okay? You know, that's why the analog watch is in a circle. That's why they, uh, for the most part, your sundial is a circle. Life's a circle. You get up, grab something to eat, clean out the manure out of some horse stalls. After you feed them, while they're in the corner they're eating, you clean out some stalls, you wipe off your boots, you get on the bus or whatever, and you go to school. You come home, put your stuff down, and now it's time to clean stalls again and pick them out. It might, be, it might be time to cool down a horse after a race. It might be time to 
do the evening feed. You know what you do? You get up and do it the next day. And Saturday was not. I was the oldest, so, you know, it was different. And after they got saved, it was better for my brothers. But it wasn't Saturday, oh, I go play all day and come home. It was work. And so growing up that way, even though we were around people, I always loved staying with my grandparents. Now, listen, listen nobody's going to get their feelings hurt. And me testifying like this, my mama, my daddy, my grandmother, my grandma, my aunties, my uncles, they're all in heaven. They've all passed on, and thank God they, the closest ones all got saved. My two brothers are in heaven. So they're not going to get offended by me saying that it was a lonely life. You say, how could it be? You were always busy, and you got to be around horses. Listen, I, was, I, I got to be on them a lot, but I was either on them, under them, or cleaning up after them the whole time. There was no God. We didn't pray over our food even. There was no God. There was no real comfort. We were on the road a lot. There were times I went to three schools and three states in the same year. And then I got saved. And it was amazing, even though I knew no Bible, as soon as things started happening, I knew something had happened inside. And all I knew to do was go home and say to my dad, I found it. What? I said, I don't know exactly how to put it in words, but I found something I give my life to. Something about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, nowadays, people are all worried about young people and stuff. I was 18 years old, and when I was 18 and 19 years old, raised on, you know, the, the classic rock and roll of the ages that they still play in the stores to this day. First time I, as a saved person, went to church, heard those hymns and started sitting in church, Nothing thrilled my soul like those hymns did. They didn't need to put them to rock and roll. They didn't need to put them into chants. Those hymns had been written during a time when God blessed. So don't discount that. Your soul is your core you. You don't just have a soul. You are a soul. So when he prayed, when he said in 1 Thessalonians 5, I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Let's get the forest before the trees. It's, it is the seat of your affections. Don't try to divide it up. I've read hundreds of the theology books and the commentaries. Hundreds, not exaggerating. You know, and it's, just, and it's your emotions and your will and this. Okay, but who you are, it's your soul. Matthew 10, 28, there in your notes. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 37, 38. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. You've got to put your soul into it. Matthew 26, 38. I just picked these because they're close. If you want to mark them in your Bible, whatever. They're all over the place. Just establishing in your mind today, in lesson one, about soul health, that your soul is your core you. You want to go to the gym, get your body fit, that's fine. But how you feel about yourself, because you love how your body feels, is not the health of your soul. It's the health of your body. And perhaps you could say, 
ego. Matthew 26, 38. The Lord Jesus speaking. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. See, if you try to divide that up too much, you're going to miss the whole point. The whole point is he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The idea of becoming sin, that of him who knew no sin, becoming sin for us, had him sorrowful even unto death. He said, I feel like my soul is going to give up. It's going to die. That rich man in Luke 12, I will say to my soul, you know the story. There is a rich man. There's Lazarus. Not the Lazarus that was raised from the dead. Lazarus the beggar. They'd come out and shake off the tablecloth out the back door in the alley. And whatever crumbs were on there, he begged for those crumbs. And no doubt if someone had compassion, they'd leave a little hunk of a piece of bread or this or that on that. And I still remember in the old days, and especially down under, the, they'd serve the, out in the country, they'd have tablecloths. They'd fold it up the four corners or the round edges and take it out and toss it, throw it out. They'd throw that out and the, and, and the sores he had, the dogs licked them as a treatment. The rich man prospered. He fared sumptuously. Every, he ate himself anywhere he wanted to eat, anything he wanted to eat. His barns were full from his crops. And then it was so full he didn't have room for it all. So he said... I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He had built him bigger barns to put that in. You know what's funny? I heard somebody say this. He must not have been much of a farmer if he didn't have the barns ready. He had what's called a bumper crop. He had more than he even, even thought he could have. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these those things be which thou hast provided? And in 1 Corinthians 15.45 at the heart of this. And so it is written, speaking of the resurrection, The first man Adam was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Your soul is the core of you. Don't hyperdivide it. We could if we wanted to. We're not going to. We're not going to in this whole series. We're not going to for anybody else's sake. So your soul is your core you. Now, the second thing for this lesson is your soul has health to be maintained. In our passage, in our text, he said, As thy soul prospereth. Then he said, I greatly rejoiced when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in truth. You don't need no Greek. You don't need no lexicon. Walkest means walking. Walking. You walkest. You continually. You don't need somebody to tell you about the Greek different tenses and all that kind of stuff. You, don't have, you know it. As you walkest in truth. Watch. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Not past tense. Walk. Present. Every day. All the time. What's the picture? Maintenance. You know, uh, I think it was last month, maybe a month before, whatever, recently. This is October. I don't know. 
it was sometime last three or four months was here in, in the United States of America was uh, uh, mental health month, mental health, whatever. Don't discount soul health just because the world emphasizes mental health. The world deals in two different things. They deal in psychology. They deal in psychiatry. Psychology has more to do with, say, behavior. What makes you tick? What, what moves you? Psychiatry has to do with dealing with it in a more medical way, a medical treatment. We would say chemicals and stuff. Now, the world majors in behavioral psychology when they're not dealing in psychiatry. Where do they get that, those two words? At P-S-Y-C-H, psychology, and P-S-Y-C-H. It just comes from a root word, which is psych, psyche or suke, depending on what language. It means soul. And the, uh, through the years, there have been people that wrote on it. The old-timers wrote about it. Uh, they tried to help people. When you deal with problems and disorders and stuff in different ways, it's the contrast between psychology and psychiatry in the world. And you may have, you may have to deal, I've known Christians, good Christians, who had to deal with it from a chemical level, something happening in their brain to affect their emotions and their body. But for the overall picture, we're going to talk about that your soul has health. And we want to deal with things, keeping them in order, rather than wait until they're out of order. So health versus illness is order and disorder in the sense of something working properly. In your notes, or in the margin of your notes there, if you're taking notes on this, you ought to jot down the word prevent. Prevent. The word prevent is two two English ideas put together into one word. And it's as if you said pre-event, before the event. It's used in your King James Bible several times. So, if God prevents us, He goes ahead of us before the event. So, preventive medicine, for example, is something you do ahead of time before you get sick to promote health. Uh, You take Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers would say that you don't really understand or appreciate your health as much until you get the absence of it. And, but the person who has the absence of illness un, you know, appreciates their health. <coughs> you know, I start off talking about what, what, if, what if your soul health manifested in your posture? That's connected to Psalm 42, our passage, our main passage at the top of the page. He said, he, he, your, your soul is manifested sometimes when you're down. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And so there are times when things like that, uh, they're a manifestation. They demonstrate what's going on with us. He said, my, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? It's off, off, often obvious to people. That thing of prevent is before the event. So what we're looking at we want to talk about soul health. Now, some of it's going to be about getting back into a healthy situation. Write these verses down. Psalm 88, 13. There's space at the bottom of the page for this. Psalm 88, 13. Psalm 88 and verse 13. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. <laughs> Are you trying to keep God away? 
Are you trying to stop God from doing something? No. It's, Lord, my prayer is going to meet you in the morning. Uh, Lord, before the day gets started, before I, have to, uh, before I have to pray a daily prayer, I'm praying here in the morning. That's why it's such a good thing to start that way. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't know why people act like it's such an impossible thing or hard to literally, before you even open your eyes and before you look at anything in the morning, just when you're laying there, is to take a verse and run it over in your mind or say, good morning, Lord. You say, well, I don't feel like it. That's why, you, that's why we maintain soul health. That's why we work on it. We have a good soul routine. You say, well, that'll just become a habit. Oh, wouldn't that be a horrible thing to greet God every morning out of habit? I'm, I'm sure it would offend Him to death. Yes, I'm being sarcastic. Psalm 119, write this down. Psalm 119. Jot it down, 119, verse 147, 148. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I hoped in thy word. My eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. You held back the morning? No. You stopped the night watches? No. In other words, ahead of time. Preventive prayer. I, I am a great believer in anticipating it. When we talk about soul health to be maintained, I'm going to throw out some words, just words that you're familiar with, especially in our day and age. For example, exercise. If you want to jot something beside that, jot down Hebrews 13. In fact, we got a minute. Go over to Hebrews 13 minutes. Maybe, maybe this will help somebody to get a picture of, of God working on your soul and you letting Him and, and uh, participating in it. Okay? Look at Psalm uh, Hebrews rather 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and look at verse 9. Be not carried about with diverse strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Okay? So keep that in mind. Talking about what you take in, what you spend your time on. Doesn't say don't don't know the meat of the Word of God. Doesn't say don't have it. It's saying don't be obsessed or occupied with it. Go back a page to Hebrews 12 and look at me at verse 11. Now Hebrews 12, primarily about chastening, about God training us, about God working in our life. And so look at verse 11. Now no chastening, and you ought to mark the word no. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. No chastening. None of it. None of it seems like, none of it's enjoyable. You see somebody really doing a hard workout, like for these athletic sports, for military, <coughs> they might be happy they're doing it, but the chastening isn't joyous. It's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, mark it, highlight it, afterward, it what? It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are underline this, exercised thereby. Exercise. Look at 1 Timothy for a moment. There's just a few of them, but this, the concept here I'm trying to get is the big picture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. While the exercise profits little, it doesn't mean it doesn't profit at all. But it's the soul exercise. 
And that's what's so important about it, okay? And there's all kind of, Hebrews 5, you know, it's about exercising your conscience. Here's the point. You exercise. Secondly, the elements. What do I put into my soul? What do I read? What do I listen to? What do I feed upon? What do I think about? Uh, What do I, how do, if something is grieving my soul, what do I do about it? See, it's one thing to have a burden. We ought to. Recently did a thing on burdens. You ought to try to listen to that. But here, I've got it highlighted for you, or in a bold right, walking is one of the best exercises for the soul. What do you mean, Brother Mike? I mean, walking with Christ exercises your soul because you have to exercise your will and your choices and your senses. You exercise those things for the purpose, okay, of following God and for the purpose of that having an effect upon your soul. It's important. It's very important. And another verse to write down, just an example, real quick. Hebrews 5.14. Hebrews 5.14. He said, But strong me belongeth unto them that are full age, now watch, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern dispensations. No. And I am a dispensationalist. No. To discern, ready, both good and evil. Our soul has to be maintained by our exercise, by the elements, and then the enemies of God want to keep your soul from being healthy. 1 Peter 2.11 will... We'll probably wrap it up here, but we'll say more as we go. But First Peter, First Peter 2, a powerful verse. This verse has helped me so much. It's helped me when I, when I think about how the world right now, many of us are burdened. I'm praying for people to be saved as a result of all this war going on over there in Israel. M- many Christians, they think all that matters is, and maybe because they're thinking about the second advent or whatever, but... They think all that matters is, you know, the second coming of Christ. But God is dealing with those Jews to try to get their attention. What's happened to them over the last 2,000 years is because they... As, and, and look, I'm, I'm with Paul. I would do anything to see him be saved. Romans 9, Romans 10. But they're, they're reaping what they sowed and rejecting the Messiah. And so our prayer can be, God, open the eyes of as many as possible. It's going to happen on an individual level first before it happens on any other level. Hebrews 5, 14. Exercised. Exercised. Enemies. 1 Peter 2, 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. The picture is you go to a place. I've been to several countries like this. You, you go to a place and they say, don't drink the water. Whatever you do, don't drink it. Uh, don't eat this. It won't sit with your system. Your body's not used to it. And some people do and they pay the price. Some have paid the price unto sickness unto death. But why? They weren't aware of the enemies of, of their body. He said fleshly lust. They war against the soul. There are things out there that want to keep us from having soul health. 
Does it include our mind? Yes, it does. Does it matter if someone has been traumatized? It does. It does. You know, getting saved gives us a new start. It does not necessarily give us a brand new way of looking at things. It gives us a brand new hope, okay? A new heart. By the way, if you're saved, your saved heart is not desperately wicked. It can't be, or he didn't save it. See, that's where sometimes these quippy little verses, that doesn't mean you don't ever have to confess your sins and get right with God and all that, but your heart is not desperately wicked. You have to be able to let God speak to you through your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And unless you're just one of those tulip Calvinists, you have to believe God gave you a saved person a new heart. You have to. Because He did. And when you know that, then He can lead you in the way that some of those old-timers talked about in their devotional books. All right, for today, lesson one, soul health. It's the beginning of it, introduction to it, and we're going to just walk through these lessons that have been developed and delivered already to people. So it's not like it's just making it up. It's helped people. <coughs> and our subject's going to be soul health. If you know someone who's a new convert, this can help them right off the bat. That's why we put some of the verses where they can get to them. And that's why we, we do those kind of things. Because what we're doing is we're trying to help them be as strong inside as any other part of who they are and let it work outside. Father, we pray you use these matters. Lord, I pray that you touch someone and reach out wherever they're at and help them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.